Welcome to Curious Psalms, a podcast where we practice reading and praying this wonderful prayer book of God's people. I'm your host, Matt, and for our conversation about Psalm 78, we're experimenting with a slightly different format. This is a longer psalm, as you'll hear in a moment, but rather than splitting the psalm up and considering the first half and then the second half, I got to have a longer conversation with my guest, Dr. Libby Backfish, and you're going to hear that conversation in two parts. So as a podcast family, we'll get to spend a couple of weeks with this wonderful psalm. To get us started, here's both Libby and myself, actually, reading Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children, so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors in the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan. He divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with light from the fire all night. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They They willfully put God to the the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Can he supply meat for his people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens and by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust, birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come down inside their camp all around their tents. They ate till they were gorged. He had given them what they craved. But before they turned from what they craved, even while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God Most High was their Redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. 
Time after time, he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again, and again they, they put, put God, God to the, the test. test. They, they vexed the Holy One of Israel. Israel. They did not remember his power, the day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan. He turned their river into blood. They could not drink from their streams. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locust. He destroyed their vines with hail and their sycamore figs with sleet. He gave their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. He prepared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave them over to the plague. He struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the firstfruits of manhood, in the tents of Ham. But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely, so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. So he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them and allotted their lands to them as an inheritance. He settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. But they, they put, put God, God to, to the, the test, test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Like their ancestors, they were disloyal and faithless, as unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered him with their high places. They aroused his jealousy with their idols. When God heard them, he was furious. He rejected Israel completely. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set up among humans. He sent the ark of his might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He gave his people over to the sword. He was furious with his inheritance. Fire consumed their young men, and their young women had no wedding songs. Their priests were put to the sword, and their widows could not weep. Then the Lord awoke, as from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. He beat back his enemies. He put them to everlasting shame. Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but, but he, he chose, chose the, the tribe, tribe of Judah, Judah Mount Zion, which, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Libby. Welcome back to Curious Psalms. Thank you for having me back. We are just going to try wallowing like pigs in mud in this <laughs> psalm, which is maybe not the appropriate metaphor when we're talking about God's law, but hippos, hippos in mud. I'm thinking basking in the radiance <laughs> of God's word, but I, I can go with the hippo metaphor, sure. I'm just thinking of like, you know, like the, the contented, like settling down, letting it kind of wash over you kind of conversation. But yes, yours is probably much holier and more appropriate as we come to the world. <laughs> it makes of God. me feel less fat. <laughs> <laughs> and it is right before Thanksgiving. So <laughs> so for listeners, you know, it's going to be a part one, part two, but we're just going to have the conversation. And if there's rabbit trails that we go down, all the better, because we have a little bit of space to do this. This is the most space we've ever had to discuss one psalm. So the first question is broad. What stood out to you in reading this psalm, Libby? Mm, so much. I think what initially stood out to me are these opening verses, which are mm. exhorting people to pass down 
the good words of God's mighty deeds and his laws to each generation. And I remember memorizing these verses when I was a children's minister. I think we all at the church were encouraged to memorize these just as a reminder of the great privilege and responsibility we had as children's ministers. And I take special ownership of these words as a mother, but really they're so much broader than that. It's the responsibility of the church as a whole to be passing down the truths of God to each generation. And so it's it's a beautiful thing. And I'm just always, I just always love reading those words. That's the first thing that stuck out to me. But within those words, verse two, I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, mm. things from of old. And readers who might be familiar with the New Testament know that Jesus cites this. Right. In Matthew 13, when he's telling parables. And when I see the hidden things, it makes me think, oh, you know, Jesus is uncovering something that hadn't been told before, or the psalmist is uncovering something that hadn't been told before. But when we go on to read, we realize these aren't new things. These are things that should have been passed down from generation to generation. These are the stories of God's mighty deeds, his salvation. These are the laws that should have been internalized within their hearts. Mm. So if they're hidden, it's not because God hid them. It's hidden because unfaithful generations of people have hidden them from the next generation. And I think that's a sobering charge for us not to do that. Hmm. Wow. So are you saying, because there's kind of two layers as we read the rest of the psalm of things that could be hidden when you think about it. There's the actual events that happened and then there's sort of the interpretation, God's work in the events. Mm -hmm. And there's some sense in which I can imagine maybe there there's a general sense of the history of the people. Maybe, maybe not. Mm -hmm. you know, maybe that hasn't even been passed down. But I could imagine a version of we kind of know where we came from. We know we were in Egypt at some point, and then we eventually came here, and we drove people out, and now we're here. But then there's sort of the layer of interpretation, right, of God's activity, which is so present mm -hmm. and evident in this psalm, that God was deliverer, that God was bringing them out, that there yeah. was... The meaning of the history. The meaning of the they history, could have known right? the history of God's saving acts, as well as the Pharisees knew the scriptures. Yeah, right. But if they don't know the meaning, then they don't have that trust in God. And that's what it seems like he's really calling them out for. Yeah. Especially like verse 36, we see, you know, they could flatter him with their mouths, lying mm. to him with their tongues, but their hearts weren't loyal to him. Right. You get the impression that they kind of know their history. Yeah. But they don't believe it. They haven't internalized it. They don't trust God and obey him as a result of that. And there's even a sense there in which sort of we almost hide these things from ourselves, right? Like mm -hmm. they're available, some like they're accessible. God's revealed. Like one of the things when you talk about Jesus, right? There's a sense of revelation that God's involved in showing his people these things. Mm -hmm. And then whether it's we shut our eyes to it or ignore it or refuse to sort of engage with it because, well, we like our version of the story better. Mm -hmm. We we yeah. like delivering ourselves or whatever the case might be. That yes. yeah, the the hidden to re revealed aspect is really interesting. I I'm really curious. So I love the way you open this because the contrast with how I read this is so great that you're talking about the ways I probably got it wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> let the readers or let the listeners no, know I got it wrong. Let the listener know that Libby, <laughs> just like she is basking in the glory of God and not like a pig in mud like me, has a far superior <laughs> and more sincere way of reading scripture. But I was reading that whole kind of section, verse starting in verse five, mm -hmm. this idea that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Mm -hmm. Then they would put their trust in God. At that point, in light of the rest of the psalm, it almost like drips with irony for me mm. because 
you have exactly what you're talking about, the nature that that's hidden. And I don't know that this is there and I won't make the claim, but almost in my mind, there's almost an ironic, sarcastic way of hearing those verses where it's like, then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands and then look at the people. They never did that. <laughs> they would not be like their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. A stubborn and rebellious mm-hmm. generation. Yep. That's you whose hearts were not. Lo- you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's a way in which the rhythm of the psalm that goes back and forth and back and forth, you mm-hmm. get God's mercy and then their sort of ignorance and they're turning away from God. It's like this beautiful ideal. Yes. Of verses one mm-hmm. through eight. Mm-hmm. Doesn't seem to be really realized in Not any sense all. of the song. And, and there is almost kind of a snarkiness, like a sarcasm. Yeah. Because yeah. you have this wood language, which is like that's showing the purpose of what should be right. happening. But like you said, they're not living up to it. And I really hear some sarcasm in verse 20. He's he's quoting them. I'll start in the middle oh, 19. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can God really spread a table in the wilderness? You know, it's kind of echoes of Psalm 23. They're like, yes. no, we're not buying that. True, he struck the rock and water gushed out. Like, that's really miraculous. Streams flowed abundantly. But can he also give us bread? Like, he's almost mocking them, saying, you know, you took for granted the water, and yet you doubted that he could give you bread, which is really more miraculous. They're equally amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... I mean, this starts getting us into the rhythm of the psalm, the back and forth. It's Mm -hmm. it's like kind of relentless Mm -hmm. to me, right? Which is the pattern of of their history, right? Mm -hmm. And before we enter in too much of the mockery or the criticism, we have to remember that the Psalms and this rhythm of sinfulness and needing mercy is a mirror of our own human condition. And I'm constantly reminding myself and my students this because it's easy to criticize Israel for their sinfulness. And look, you should have been doing this. That's the ideal in one through eight. And look how, but we would be in the same exact spot and, and that, yeah, that's just humbling. No, that's so, yeah, it's really helpful. It's well said. One of the things that I think about when it comes to that is we, we read this psalm and it's all pushed together. Mm-hmm. So the fullness, like we are seeing kind of this repeated ongoing nature of God's mercy and we, we you get the sense of the rhythm. Mm-hmm. But this is lived out like one generation is not experiencing all these things. Right. Right. You have like you have normal days that are being lived by people. And you have um, faithful generations and faithful totally. people within it. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I, I find like that's a helpful reminder to me. Like when I'm starting to get a little, you know, little high and mighty, like mm-hmm. little look at these <laughs> foolish people here <laughs> in the Bible. It's like, yeah, well, like I'm reading the whole story. Mm-hmm. And if I look at how I think about God moving through the story of my life, yeah, I'm just as ignorant most days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and occasionally you have a moment of clarity, right? Where it's like, oh, Lord, yes, you've been at work this whole time. Yeah. But so much of my days is often spent just doing the ordinary stuff of life and forgetting, mm-hmm. right? His mercy and his compassion that lies behind it all. Since we're still kind of in verses one through eight, yeah, the content of what we're supposed to be passing on to future generations, it struck me that at least twice it talks about the deeds of the Lord and before it talks about the statutes and the expectations of the Lord. And this is the pattern mm. we see throughout scripture, right? First, we're expected to know about God and to put our trust in him based on that saving knowledge. And then we obey, right? We're not expected to obey a God we don't even know. And I just, 
I love that, that mercy that he gives us. So just to Mm. put some words behind my claim there, in the middle of verse 4, it's talking about telling the next generation the deeds of the Lord. And then in verse 5, to tell them his statutes and his laws, what's expected. Or verse 6, so the next generation will know them. And then in verse 7, they put their trust in God. And then at the end of verse 7, they keep his commandments. So I think that's very helpful to, to realize. You know, and maybe it even impacts the way we see people coming to to our church who don't know God yet. Yeah. And naturally, they're not always going to be following God's law. But would we expect them to before yeah. they know God in his saving work and have put their trust in him? I think it might give us a little bit of compassion. Oh, that is so good. It makes me think of in the Curious Church podcast, we were having a series of conversations about Frederick Buechner's book, The Remarkable Ordinary. Mm-hmm. And last week, an episode came out talking about our story. And one of the points that Beekner makes is like the creeds that we recite are so much storied. So if you think about the Apostles' Creed, Apostles' Creed is almost entirely events that happen. And we say we believe in this story. And I love that sort of at the core, like when you start to drill down to the core, it's it's what God has done. Not, uh, I mean, doctrines are all important and valuable and we want to know and apply theology well. But yeah, it starts with the deeds of God there it's how god reveals himself to his people right yeah they give the foundation for the doctrines the foundation for the laws and the reason for those yeah Um, wow that's so good so should we just do an entire podcast on verses one through eight (laughs) we could we could but it's all so good maybe this should be like a four-part podcast all right i just want to do a quick hit diving into the rest of the psalm yep or slash maybe a question Mm -hmm. ephraim Yeah, so there's so many like kind of code words here. Not code words, but nicknames. Yeah. So Ephraim is sometimes used to describe just the northern kingdom in general. Okay. So, and for our listeners who may not be familiar with the history of Israel, they had a united kingdom when they entered the land and God gave them the promised land after the Exodus. But then because of Solomon's sin and his son Rehoboam's sin, God divided the kingdom. And it was mostly just Judah in the southern kingdom and the Mm. rest of the tribes. And so sometimes the northern kingdom is just called Ephraim or Ephraim. And the southern kingdom is called Judah or Jacob. There's also some other, like the tents of Ham, the end of verse 30 or 51 refers to Egypt. So there's sometimes those tricky nicknames. Okay, so tease this out for me, Libby. Mm -hmm. This is is the exact kind of rabbit trail I imagined when we're having this conversation. (laughs) So you have verse 67. Mm-hmm. Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, mm-hmm. but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount mm-hmm. Zion, which he loved. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you have this southern, northern kind of codes happening. Yes. Mm-hmm. But is but then it goes on to talk about David. Mm-hmm. But this psalm was written long after David died. Yes, sure. So it's talking about a new David who would shepherd the southern kingdom. And that's confusing because like, and David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillful hands. He led them. I'm, I'm thinking it's talking about a new David that's going to be shepherding them. This is, uh, this is, especially because look at verse 69, he built his sanctuary, like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. Well, the temple was built after David. The timeline is kind of collapsed and blurring here at the end of the song, isn't it? I even have a note here that has, it says not chronological because it seems like it's back and forth between the dividing of the kingdom. Then it seems to go back to, you know, God really choosing David, son of Jesse from the sheepfolds, but then also kind of thinking ahead to a future David. 
the temple's already built. It seems back and forth chronologically. It's almost like the psalmist is looking back at the history, not in order, but just collectively mm. and looking at the, the good parts and the bad parts and ending with this note of hope that they have this history with a Davidic king and they have this hope to look forward to in a Davidic descendant. And that hope is about to get bashed in Psalm 79 and some of the other ones when it says, ah, but the temple's, you know, destroyed. And yeah, yeah. And then, of course, 89, when the Davidic covenant seems to be completely gone and destroyed. Which, which of course, in some sense is in keeping with the whole psalm. Like, mm -hmm. I found that interesting. 72 just kind of lands. But you're also like, the whole psalm has made me think. We're about to read, but the people, yes. <laughs> you know, turned away or something like that. And I don't want to spoil your future podcast too much, but the end of Psalm 79, it's talking about God shepherding his people at the very last verse. Psalm 8 starts off, hear us, shepherd of Israel, you lead Joseph like a flock. Mm. And then even the psalm before, I think, has some, yeah, Psalm 77, which you just covered, you led your people like a flock. So this shepherding imagery, which is huge, is huge. And that's mm. how they're depicting this Davidic figure at the end of 78. That's fantastic. I feel like because we had a little bit more time, I'm just going to throw all my other things out there. Verse 16. Okay, here's my other question. Mm -hmm. He brought streams out of a rocky crag and made waters flow down like rivers. So I'm preaching on Isaiah 2 this Sunday, which I guess as we record this, listeners will have already heard that sermon. Mm -hmm. But that's the the nations are flowing or streaming Mm. up to the mountain yeah and then the word of the lord flows out from the mountain mm. and one commentator was pointing out that this is the same language as in eden where the rivers flow mm -hmm. from eden and the same language as when moses strikes the rock mm -hmm. and the waters flow oh. and so as i was reading this i was like is this again some edenic imagery you have sort of God, even in the midst of wilderness, not restoring Eden, it's not that strong, but you have this echo of God's provision for his people. Yeah, an echo and maybe even a foretaste of the promised land they're heading towards, right. which will be like another microcosm of Eden. Yeah. Yeah, I so. think so too. I, I also thought of Micah 4 or wherever that is, uh, let justice roll down. Yeah, like, you right. Know, Martin Luther King Jr. says yeah. in his dream speech. So I think that imagery could just be talking about the abundance of the water flowing, sure. but the fact that they're describing it like rivers. Like rivers, yeah. I think that ties into Eden and and the promised land for sure. There's so much in here. I feel like we could go verse by verse. There's the cravings. I, I loved the, basically God gives them what they craved mm -hmm. and then it doesn't go well. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, so often. Like that's so preachable. Yeah, that, isn't that, it? Yeah. We yeah. think what we know what we need and yeah. And then we get it and we gorge ourselves on it and then, yeah. It doesn't work out. Mm -hmm. but it's like it's like kids who don't eat all your Halloween candy and they eat it. And it's like they punish themselves. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. Do you have anything else? I do, but I think it can Shall be discussed move on to our with next these questions? other questions. Yeah. Well, Libby, I, I'm feeling like a pig in mud, regardless of what you're feeling like. <laughs> I think that's a great start as we kind of looked at some diverse parts of the psalm. And for just part one, we're going to pause right there. So thanks so much for joining me for this part of the conversation. Thank you. I hope your listeners come back for part two. They better. Go out, <laughs> go out <laughs> listen to the next episode, and pray the Psalms. <laughs> <laughs>